All right, everyone. Welcome once again to the Faces of Business. I am your host, Damon Pistolka, and boy, do we have a show today. Wish me with me today. Not wish me with me today. I have Ashley Walters from Onyx Incorporated. Is that right? The That's president correct. of Onyx. Awesome. Ashley, great to have you here today. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Damon. Yeah, we're going to be talking a little bit about growing family businesses through acquisitions. We're going to talk about your background, your history with the company. You guys uh, decided to use an ESOP to, to sell your company into an ESOP a while ago. I don't know if they're the right way of saying it, but we'll talk about that. We'll talk about your idea and why you've chosen to grow through acquisitions and, and some of the things that you're you're finding when you're doing that. So. Ashley, tell us a little bit about your background and yourself. Yeah, sure. So I grew up in a very small town in Tennessee, and I come from a multi-generational manufacturing uh, background. So grandparents worked in manufacturing as well as my father. And, you know, that first plant visit I went on, the sights and the sounds, it just sucked me right in. And so I say it's been in my blood since I was 13 years old, if not before. Um, nice. went on to obtain an engineering degree from Auburn University in a very small town in Auburn, Alabama. And yep. so that small town just uh, kind of, I'm a small town girl, right? At heart, for sure. Um, yep. So got the engineering degree, went to work in nuclear power. And then um, my father-in-law called one day and said that their pulp and paper technical salesperson had passed away unexpectedly. And so he wanted to know if I was interested in the job. So just so happened that kind of my minor in college was pulp and paper. And my dad worked in the paper mill. My grandfather worked in the paper mill. So I knew a thing or two about it. Wow. And, uh, so I ended up with a job in technical sales and started helping my husband, Drew, run the Southeastern Division of the family business. And um, we went on to have two boys. And our first one came six weeks early. So I went from a working mom to a stay-at-home mom literally overnight. And... Oh. Uh, went on to have a second baby. And then my father-in-law called again one day in 2013 and he said, the CFOs left the company and you need me to run it. So that's a the quick rundown on how I got to where I am today. Very cool. Very cool. So um, whereabouts was it at that you went? I, I used to live in Tennessee. So I asked. Ask, yeah. So I grew, up in, I grew up in Riceville, Tennessee which is just south of Knoxville and just north of Chattanooga by 55 miles. Yeah, I was going to say it was must have been East Tennessee. Yeah, it was yeah. East Tennessee. That's beautiful out there. It sure is. Yeah, yeah. Sure. yeah. I lived I lived near Jackson, so it was, it's Western Tennessee. Yeah, that's the other side of the state. The other side of the state. Not, <laughs> not quite as pretty. Still rolling, still got some trees, but not yeah. nearly as pretty as the Chattanooga area. So, yeah. very cool. So, Pulp and paper. What did you? That's that's quite an industry. So when you look at it and you see just the the, the vast amounts of timber that move that power all of what we use every day. What were some of the things in that industry that you really um, just realized getting into it and went, "Wow, I never thought of this." Yeah. So I, every time I talk about pulp, pulp and paper, I say, you can't tell me it's not a really super cool industry. We took a pine tree and turned it into toilet paper, mm -hmm. you know? And uh, so, yeah, 
lots of uh, chemistry involved for sure. My background was chemical engineering, mm -hmm. um, but just that process of manufacturing something, of turning something into something else, um, yeah. just always been uh, drawn to. Yeah, so cool, so cool. So your father-in-law called again, oh. said, hey, come and run the company. Yep. What, so what I was your mind when he did when he said that. <laughs> uh, now is not the right time. <laughs> was the first thing that went through my mind. Um, my boys were two and three years old. Oh my goodness! Yeah, and we lived in Charlotte, North Carolina, and the company headquarters was in Erie, Pennsylvania, or is in Erie, Pennsylvania to yeah. this day. And we also had a location in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So certainly not ideal to try yeah. to run a company um, from nine hours away. Um, but I just knew in my heart, you know, I talk a lot about having grit and grace. Uh, mm -hmm. I think that's something that uh, being raised in the South was kind of ingrained in us, right? That determination and perseverance as long as well as some empathy and compassion. Mm -hmm. And so I really went back to those roots and grit and I just knew I had to say yes and it wasn't because of my family so much as it was because of the 50 families that were working for the family business that were depending yeah. upon us to get this right, to fix this yeah. for them. And uh, I didn't know how I was going to do it. Once again, I have an engineering degree. I didn't have an MBA. I didn't have much management experience. But um, I really thought about the advice that my dad had given me when I got my engineering degree. I had the diploma in my hand and we're taking photos and everything. And dad says, this is great, but you don't know much at all. And I thought that really stings. <laughs> you know? I spent four years obtaining this degree. And what yeah. he meant was he'd spent his entire life as a production um, person, you know, and he had management, what they, he called white hats that would come on the plant floor and tell him what to do. And even when he knew that it was wrong and he knew exactly what was going to happen, they wouldn't listen. And so he said, go to the people that are closest to the work and ask them. They already know the solution to the problem that you're trying to solve. And if you'll just ask and listen and get them the resources and help remove the obstacles, you'll be so successful. And I, Damon, I took that to heart. I mean, I've done that in every position ever since. Um, so he was right. I really didn't know much at all. <laughs> I just want to stop there for a minute because your dad probably possibly right there gave you the advice to, to make any career. Yep. I, in manufacturing. It really is because going to the people closest to the, to the work and asking them what's wrong and how would they solve it and just getting them what they need is 99.9% .9 of what you need to do. Yeah. And I think a lot of leaders feel like they have to know everything. Right. And it's just impossible. And you'll completely stress yourself out, even company owners. Right. Um, mm -hmm. When you grew the company up, you did know everything. But as you grew, you there was a day when you didn't know everything anymore. Yes. You had to rely on others. Yes. And I think I th think sometimes it's even better if you don't know. If you if you somehow get or like you getting thrust in a situation where you may not have known all the stuff is, is actually an advantage because you can ask the questions that are so-called dumb questions 
and then you're more reliant on others right away from the beginning because you don't know. Yeah, absolutely. So I read an awesome article the other day and it was talking about how in these organizations, if you're if you're trying to take a coach approach with people, but you as the leader aren't asking for help, you're not modeling the behavior, then you're not wow. going to have people asking for help within the organization. And I thought, well, that nailed it. <laughs> right. Yes. Yes. Wow. There is a question that somebody told me similar to what your father said years ago. It said, always ask somebody, what do they think? Because if they're coming to you have a problem and, and they're talking about a problem, well, what do you think? How would you do it? Yeah. And when I was early in my career, I thought I had to know. Mm -hmm. But once you make that shift and you start asking them what they think, A, first of all, you weren't going to come. I wasn't going to come up with that good a solution in the first place. <laughs> but by empowering people and asking their opinion, the next time they might solve the problem on their own without even asking and do it just like they need to. Yeah, I do think you find people, especially when you're moving from that command and control that we see a lot in manufacturing, right? Yeah. As yeah. you're trying to move to this problem solving culture, um, you definitely go through stages. So at first they're frightened to tell you anything because they, they've been belittled or berated potentially if they have said anything before. And now you're asking their opinion and they're not real sure what you're going to do. Yeah. And then once you get through that stage and they start offering their opinion, but they're, they're wanting you to solve, right? So they give you the problem, but they want you to solve for it. And then as you said, when you ask them, well, what do you think? Then they become in, involved in the solution. And then before you know it, they're not having to bring as many problems to you. But one time I did have a leader come to me and she told me about an issue and I automatically went into problem solving mode and I didn't yep. realize we were beyond that kind of stage. And she said to me, she said, just stop, Ashley. She said, I'm just telling you, I'm venting, I'm bringing it to your attention, but I would like to go try to solve it. And I was like, have at it. <laughs> there you go. You knew you were doing something right then. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, we've got a few people here. I just want to say hello to Benita. Hey, Benita. Great to see you. And then we got Margo, Cargo Margo Waldi. She's from Long Beach. Thanks so much. And then she's she says, love the story. Oh. Yeah. Awesome. So your, your background, chemical engineering, we're working in that. You started running the company. Um, let's talk about your book. Because you, you wrote Leading with Grit and Grace. Um, what? I mean, you're saying you're running a company and decided to write a book. <laughs> Not enough to do? Be more time of the day? What? You know what? I got a little free time. I don't know if you remember COVID-19. Yeah. <laughs> it shut yeah. the world down. <laughs> yeah. So we weren't traveling as much. And, you know, we, we were just home more. And there was okay. more free time. I wasn't running to football practice and basketball practice and all those good things with the boys. So yeah. it was actually the perfect time because I can tell you right now, I don't have the capacity to, to put into writing. But um, my marketing coordinator at the time said, Ashley, you have a story that I think others would like to hear and could find helpful. And uh, she said, you le you've led through two crises, one internal to your own family business and one external being the, the global pandemic. And uh, I looked at her and I said, 
as a general rule, engineers do not write. <laughs> that is not what yeah. it's not yeah. a skill set that we generally have. Now we can write technical papers and things like that, but you know, not not something that the that the world necessarily wants to read, right? Yeah, it's not valuable. And uh, so anyway, I, I don't remember how she convinced me to do it, but I said maybe this is you know something I could give a shot. I love to read. I love to read what other people have written, and you don't find too many books that apply necessarily directly to small to medium sized businesses, right? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of stuff written for corporations and big by, you know, uh, big management firms and things like that. But we have a lot of nuances in these small businesses. And so yes, I just thought if I could share my story and my roadmap for how we made it through two crises, then if one person found it useful, then I'd consider it successful. So awesome. that's why I wrote it. Awesome. Good stuff. Well, what did you learn about about yourself and about the company and the way you solve problems as you were as you were going through writing the book? Yeah. So one thing I uh, realized about myself is I'm a definite overachiever uh, and I set really strict timelines for very large projects. <laughs> OK, So I don't know anything about writing a book. I had a great team of people behind me, you know, uh, who knew that there was a designer for the inside and, you know, of the book and the outside of the book and that there wasn't just one editor, there's three editors. And so um, I just learned a lot about the process. I said I wanted to publish it by December 1st of 2020 and I'd started in September of 2020 and uh, it went live on Amazon on December 8th of 2020. So I think seven days in the midst of a global mm -hmm. pandemic and me not knowing what I was doing was pretty good. <laughs> Give yourself, you gave yourself a little bit of grace then. Yeah. That's good. So definite overachiever. What are some of the other things that, that you you learned about the situations that your company had gone through, your leadership style, some other things that you, you didn't realize? Because I, I got to believe this gave you some time to really reflect and remember. Yeah, it definitely did. It gave me time to reflect on the process that we took to mm -hmm. kind of get from there to here, right? Um, and so it gave me the opportunity to write that roadmap. And I, I wouldn't, without the reflection time, I couldn't have told you kind of the steps that we took and which pieces were important and kind of where we made the errors. Um, so I can say, you know, as we went into this, it was kind of sheer chaos and we had this these company financials that were a mess and we needed to do some things quickly. And um, so there was a lot of change that happened fast and we mm -hmm. did not do a good job of communicating the changes and why. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, moving forward, um, we, we were more cognizant and tried to communicate, okay, this is the change we're about to make. Like, am I not thinking of something that's going to impact the person in front or the person behind in this process and just talking through more as a team and collaborating more? I mean, we had been completely siloed. The business units didn't know what the other business units were doing. The departments didn't know what the other departments were doing. And so we had to learn to communicate again as a team. Um so just, you know, just reflecting on things like lean uh, value stream mapping was the tool that we used to really start those discussions again. And uh, from value stream mapping, we went into 5S where we just cleaned the place up, literally like cleaned the carpets, painted the walls, like threw out the junk. And it just, 
you know, they're just steps. But you, but what we did also learn is we had too many priorities at one time. And so when I reflect on what my performance review looked like, I had five big goals and they had five baby goals. And there was no way that I could complete 25 projects in one year when 90% of your day is task oriented, right? Mm -hmm. So one big change I made in 2018 was we started with just one wildly important goal. And that way we could, there was tons and tons and tons of great ideas, right? But we just had to pick one to focus on so that we could feel really successful. And what we found was, you know, the goal from 2018 didn't go away. It's still a focus point for us, but it's a, a nat, more of a natural habit now. And so mm -hmm. then the goal for 2019 wasn't overwhelming. The goal for 2018, we just, we had the natural habits and the good cadence. And then 2019 became the thing that we learned and we tried. Yeah. And we've just That's built really on it. really cool. Yeah. That really helped us to be yeah, focused just and prioritized. Focusing, it's too many priority, priorities. Yep. So so you just cut them down to one. One. The biggest and most important one. What is the and, one thing that we can do that will be the most impactful to the business? Just yeah. the one. And I read once too that the prior, like priority was never meant to be plural. It is only meant to be singular. One, a priority. Yeah. yeah. That's that's awesome because we know how good multitasking really does work. You know, I don't care anybody. So <laughs> yeah. you, you only kind of half do them when you're. I was gonna say I have a bunch of half things done when I'm yeah. multitasking. Yeah, and I forget the other two when I'm trying <laughs> to do that. So you you it, it's it's super interesting because you're talking about a 50 year old company, right? Mm -hmm. When you when you got there, it's already 50 years old. I had a similar experience. I started working in a company that was a little bit older than that. The siloed things that were were typical in, in companies before, you know, the accountants didn't talk to the engineers and didn't talk to the customer service people, didn't talk to the production or the people working in the factories or working on the job sites. <clears throat> How difficult was it to get people to learn just to communicate? With each other or with me or both? With with across the silos, with yeah. you, rather than just kind of doing their own thing. So the way I got them to start communicating with me and trying to build that trust and rapport back um, was just asking the question, what frustrates you the most or what takes up the most time in your day? And okay. that really helped me like figure out kind of what was wasteful. Because if they weren't feeling like anybody was looking at that report that was 50 years old, which nobody was, yeah. you know, it felt like a waste of their time. And um, so we just started eliminating those things just, you know, as quickly as I could, as timely as I could, getting them the resources, helping them remove those obstacles and barriers. And if it was ever something that we couldn't change, for instance, we um, are a supplier into the aerospace industry. So we have a process that we simply cannot change. Even mm -hmm. though they have really great ideas surrounding it, I just say those are awesome ideas, but we can't change because, and we mm -hmm. talk through it. And then value stream mapping was really the way that we got each other collaborating because then mm -hmm. you were talking to the person in front of you and behind you in a process yes. and you were saying, okay, I, I, if I could do this, would it make your life better or worse? You know, and they yeah. were getting to have those conversations uh, as a team. 
I'll also tell you, I did not sit in on the value stream mapping processes. So um, I don't know who gave me advice pretty early on, but they said, and it, it might've been the facilitator for value stream mapping. He just said, I find it's better when like the owner or the president or the head isn't here um, mm -hmm. because they won't speak as freely. And so even to this day, I don't sit in on like our health benefits talks. I don't sit in, you know, when people are trying to brainstorm um, because I don't want them to listen to my ideas. That's not, it's not the Ashley show, right? They yeah. have the answers. And uh, so I just excuse myself and like get debriefed afterwards, but let them brainstorm on their own. Yeah, that's a great idea for the value stream mapping. I giggle when you talk about 5S because I was in the in companies when 5S started to come and we worked, yes. we had a large Japanese supplier in the first company I worked for. Um, and it was a traditional older uh, industrial company and dirty, you know, yeah. the old manufacturing kind of thing. And everyone thought 5S was crazy, right? Well, why do you want the floors so clean? Why do you want things that organized? And, you know, and you can take it to the extreme, having your desk, you know, super organized and your and your office supply room and stuff. And we did in a lot of cases. But I, I laugh about it because now the, the benefits of it are so well known and, and so well documented that it's it's weird to go into a place and not see them very clean and very yeah. organized. Yeah. So, and I would say that we do a good job, but we're not we're not your world class at it. Oh yeah. yeah. We we're still you know on our lean journey. Um but we find ourselves, you know, uh covid kind of rocked the boat. We were doing great and then covid happened and we had less people in the plant and you know more mm -hmm. production to do and all those good things. And lean and 5S specifically was kind of that thing that got pushed to the wayside. But as soon as we were coming out of COVID and everything was like kind of turning around, it was the thing that we desperately wanted to go back to and get mm -hmm. centered. It centered us, right? As a company, mm -hmm. it brought everybody together and, um, and everybody was working for that same common good. So yeah. Hey, sometimes you can lose your way, but it's it's okay, right? It's kind of like oh, a diet, yeah, you're, right? You're going to. You're going if you to. If you cheat on Monday, it's okay. You can start over on Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you're you're leading the company. Turn things. You write your book. You turn things around. You. Um, so I, when did you guys? And was it before COVID or after COVID? You guys decided to do the ESOP. Yeah. So remember when I said I'm an overachiever? Yeah. <laughs> it was in the midst of COVID that we decided. There you go. That's what I thought. <laughs> I, really yeah, I was thinking the timing through my head. So yeah. You, so Drew what, and I purchased. What, <laughs> what, what, what was your reason, reasoning for doing, uh, doing an ESOP? Or going yeah. So Drew and I, when we purchased the company from his dad in 2018, it was a four year process of meeting with advisors and trying to figure out the best way to transition this business and what do we need to do. And, you know, it's emotional for the seller. It's emotional for the buyers. It's hard on the organization. Um, so we just knew when we purchased the business that we wanted to be really thoughtful about how we would exit the business. And so statistically, um, if you know anything about third generation family owned businesses, they're mm -hmm. only 13% successful yep. in that third generation. 
And so um, being the engineers that we are, we decided the statistics seemed like they were stacked against us. And so we knew that it was even more important uh, to not just rely on our boys to be that third generation. And currently today, they're 10 and 12, and one wants to be a shoe designer for Nike, and one wants to be an aerospace engineer, neither of which are going to currently be helpful for the family business. Yeah, I know that can change 100 times over. But, you know, we just we just knew that this was something that we would face down the road. So in 2019, I sat on a succession planning panel, and I was there just to talk about going from first generation to second generation. Mm -hmm. But Kevin McPhillips from the Pennsylvania Center of Employee Ownership was there for the keynote. And so I stayed for the keynote and he just it was just amazing the stories about these ESOP companies that he told. And so I grabbed him at lunch and I asked him a few questions and I wanted to know what does Onyx have to look like for this to even be a possibility for us? Because it wasn't a possibility for us when we were transitioning from the first to the second generation. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of told him, you know, what we've been through and where we were. And he said, Ashley, I think you're there. And he said, if you're not, you're really close. And so we had a high level feasibility study done. This was the beginning of 2020 as we closed the 2019 books. And uh, Kevin came in and he spoke to our leadership team on March 9th, right before the pandemic. Right. And he and I wanted him to answer all their questions and I wanted them to know what we were up to because we're a relatively small company. I didn't like rumors flying that we're still in business, you know, and if if they did, I wanted them to be able to squash them. Answer it. Yeah. So and then the world shut down on March 13th. And so one of my leaders came and he said, well, I guess this means an ESOP is off the table. And I said, well, it was a good idea in February and it still remains a good idea today. It's good for the business. And so I said, we're just going to forge ahead. We'll just see, you know, what we can do. And at that time, it was a two week shutdown, right? It was a flattening curve. Like it wasn't um, a two year uh, expedition that we've been on. So Anyway, um, Drew and I just thought it was a really cool idea um, because for us, it meant like kind of our family culture reimagined, that family ownership reimagined for us. And we wanted to be, we wanted to ensure that this business who that's now been in business for 56 years in Erie remained for generations to come, not dependent on our family generations, um, but really dependent upon the hard work of the people who are showing up every day, right? We wanted to give back to them. We wanted to make sure we remained in the community. And so for those reasons, it just was a good fit for us. Now, an ESOP's not a great fit for everyone. You know, you have different goals sometimes as owners. Mm-hmm. We're relatively young. We, you know, a 10-year buyout for us is no big thing. We're still managing the business. We still get to be involved in the growth. Um, but, you know, other owners might not have that timeline, right? Or they might need that money to retire. My Mm father-in-law was one of those. He needed the money to be able to retire. These small to medium business owners sink everything that they have into the business. There's not a big 401k account sitting around. The business is the 401k. So everybody's goals are different, but for us in ESOP was great. Yeah. Well, and and I like what you just said, though. You said family ownership reimagined. Because it's kind of like your family just got bigger. <laughs> you know, when you think about family ownership of the business, because the employees are the owners now. They they do better if the company does better. And that's it's it's a much different environment for people to work too, I can imagine. 
Yeah, so they, I think one of the things that we saw early on was the self-policing. So yeah. like when, when Johnny wasn't doing his job, like Bobby wanted Johnny to do his job. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we yeah. saw some of that going on. Yeah. And it is, it is, it, it is nice if you have the time to do it. There's some other ESOPs I've been involved with where the, the 10 year buyout is common in an ESOP, but it is a nice way to do it because you can still be in the business mm -hmm. for a long time and, and still affect the, the future of the business and, and do that. And, and then as we look forward to the future, like you're doing now, the ESOP really prepares you for something like growth through acquisitions like you're trying to do now. So what, I mean, what really intrigued you about or, or caused you to make the decisions, hey, we should go out and buy other companies. That's how we want to grow our business. So we've been growing organically really well, mm -hmm. but it's hard to grow organically past a certain point or as fast as one might want, right? Mm -hmm. So that was kind of the draw for acquisitions. The other piece of it is, I think there's a lot of small to medium sized family businesses out there that just don't know where to go or what to do. And so we wanted to offer, you know, this as an alternative for them. Um, maybe some are scared of private equity. They don't know what's going to happen to their business. They want to make sure their legacy remains intact, their business remains in their community. Um, so knowing that we are an ESOP company and that that's really important to us, like where you have those values that are very much aligned, um, would be kind of the business owners that we're looking for. So we've reached out to, you know, several different companies over the last couple of years. We haven't made any acquisitions yet. Um, mm -hmm. There's some nuances when you're an ESOP, right? So we have to be uh, thoughtful that we don't dilute our current ESOP owners. Uh, so not all companies make sense for us. So if you have a very heavy, like labor intensive manufacturing business, um, then it's probably not going to be the best fit for us because we're more service oriented company. So you kind of have to look at that revenue per man or uh, EBITDA per man and make sure you're not diluting those current um, owners mm -hmm. or employee okay. owners, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. So you were, you were, th you, your intention is you're going to be able to grow faster through acquisitions and offer the owners a different legacy choice. Offer the owners a different legacy choice. And yeah, and we'll still grow organically as well, but you know, through acquisitions, we'll be able to uh, maybe diversify in a region or offer our clients more services. So for instance, if we took on a mechanical arm or an electrical arm, um, you know, we're seeing a lot of the plant personnel uh, for maintenance. They're just not there anymore. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so outsourced maintenance is becoming a really big thing because the plants only have so many personnel and they need every single one of them for production. Um, mm -hmm. So any way that we can grow that would benefit our current client base, um, I think would make a lot of sense. Yeah. So let's back up again, because I just realized that we didn't take much time to talk about what Onyx does. <laughs> yeah. I think it's cool. I think it's really cool. Yeah. So talk to what, what does the company actually do? So we build and service industrial furnaces. Uh, yeah. So these furnaces are in your steel industry, aluminum industry, not, not your HVAC furnaces at home. Those are not what we would do. Yeah. Uh, but just think of furnaces as big as your conference room. 
uh, lined with refractory on the inside and that have air piping and uh, natural gas piping on the outside for the combustion. And we maintain that um, the combustion system as well as the refractory systems and we build brand new furnaces. A lot of what we do is retrofit or remodel, you know, current mm -hmm. furnaces, um, but we do build new ones as well. So what, what are these furnaces doing usually? Kind yeah, of. so a lot of what we're involved in is the forge industry, and I always just call it specialty metals, some kind of alloyed steel that they're turning yeah. into defense or aerospace, uh, oil and gas, automotive parts. Okay, we're so it's heating, heating the metals up and helping them change the properties, uh, something like that. Yeah, just think of a blacksmith. That's what a forge is, right? So they're mm -hmm. putting the metal into these furnaces. It's glowing red heart. They're taking it out. They're putting it in a press or a hammer okay. and uh, making it, forging it into some shape. Uh, yeah. And then heat treating it after the process. Maybe they machine it and then they heat treat it. Um, but yeah, it's just super cool stuff that we don't even know is going on behind these, these walls. <laughs> no doubt. So, so you you build the furnaces is actually turn the metal like red hot before they form it. Yep. Oh yeah. That's really cool. That's We're really cool. Very and that's, early in the supply chain. Yeah. And that is, I mean, I love seeing the videos of that type of metalworking because it's, it's so it's a, you can only imagine the heat around there, yeah. but it, it's so interesting how you can form the metals and keep different properties by doing that. So that's cool. That's cool. So you're, so you're looking to grow by acquisitions. Now, growth by acquisitions has been done horribly in the past in yeah. some cases. Um, what you're thinking, you're looking more at things vertically that kind of helps your, your current customer base more. That's, those are the kind of things that will complement you better. Yeah, I think for us, especially going into acquisition number one, something that is within our knowledge base, right, within that customer base, definitely mm -hmm. feels the best to us. So that's not to say that we won't grow the company in other ways or diversify in areas. But yes, uh, many acquisitions don't go as well as planned, for sure. And I think a part of that has a lot to do with like the culture of the company that oh, yeah. you're acquiring yeah. and trying to integrate two cultures. Um, that can be super tricky. Not that it can't be done. There's been people out there that do it very well. Um, yeah. But I think getting that right uh, is probably one of the bigger steps. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, too, you've got a distinct advantage. And, and this is because you're looking at it from a business perspective. Yes, you're also going to be reviewing financials, but a lot of the bad acquisitions and mergers have taken place just because they're purely financial yeah and and that that you're you're looking at that secondarily yeah i mean it's certainly like a long-term game for us right yeah. I mean, and every yeah. stakeholder is important uh it's yeah. not just a financial play yeah yeah so what have you learned so far you know thinking about growth by acquisitions what's been something you said oh, i would have never thought of that so I think the biggest thing that we figured out pretty early on was the number of people and the dilution. So we looked at two different companies that were heavier in personnel uh, yeah. to kind of produce less EBITDA. And yeah. we realized um, that we weren't going to be a, so if you can grow the company substantially and keep the same amount of personnel, then it makes yep. sense potentially. Right. But we realized as we grew the company, as we grew revenue, we were going to need more 
personnel to do it. So it just didn't make um, a lot of sense. I think also, you know, I guess I would have assumed that when you reach out to business owners, they might be excited that somebody's reaching out and wants to buy their business. And so far, I don't think that's been the case. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? They're not, they're caught off guard. They're, they haven't thought about it, but I think it's also just planting that seed that says, Hey, we're here. We're looking, you know, it makes sense to us for these reasons. One day, if it makes sense to you, give us a call. Yeah. Those are the, those are two great things. I think, first of all, you understanding the, the ratio of employees or dollars of EBITDA per employee, whatever that number is, to give a quick understanding of, hey, this industry might not, this this segment of the industry might not be a good one for us. Okay. Um, that's great because it allows you to get quicker to to more acceptable candidates. And and then learning too, that business owners are caught off guard. They, they're in running that business. They're not <laughs> thinking about the next five years or the next five minutes really in, in some some instances so that's cool um yeah yeah so what what are some of the things so I, i've got about 17 things that are running in my head all at once <laughs> okay. so i just need to slow down here um so what are you looking forward to in the next year with the business, with your growth by acquisitions, what are some things that you're like, man, I'm pretty excited about this? So I think some of the most exciting things going on right now is just we have an incredible leadership team and growing these leaders uh, uh -huh. for succession um, is is really super exciting. Just watching um, these leaders take shape and, and grow. Um, I also think that, um, you know, I guess like while a recession is looming potentially or is here, as some would say, I feel confident that because we've let, like we have been through two catastrophic events together as a team, like I just know that we can get through anything and we're going to be, we're going to be okay. I'm not going to say it's easy, but I just, Damien, when I pulled the team together when COVID-19 happened and I set them all around the conference table and I said, okay, I've been up all night long. And these are the things I've thought of. This is what I know that we need to do to keep everybody like healthy and safe. What did I forget? What did I not think of? There wasn't a person in that room that didn't tell me something that we needed to think about. And then because they knew that it was the issue they took it and ran with it and that just feels so good as a leader not to be on an island by yourself yeah yeah that's awesome that's awesome i think back to what you said the first thing you said what you're excited exciting about growing these leaders for succession and i didn't mention it before but your thought about the your exit of the business when you went into the business mm -hmm. Wow. I got to tell you, that is very rare, first of all. Um, and I think it's super cool because you're seeing what what we get to see with some of our clients as as we help them create what their exit is. And we're still years away from it. But when you see that, 
what you're going to do, what you want to do before you're there, it's not like something you fear. I don't think it's something that you're like, man, I'm excited to get there. Yeah. But I do think like, as we talked about, these transitions are emotional. Like oh, yes. it was emotional to buy the business. It was emotional to sell the business. It's a little bit emotional to train these guys and gals up to do what you're doing, because then what are you going to do? Right. Mm -hmm. So then you got to no. find that that next step for yourself. <laughs> yes. Some kind, sometimes can be the trickiest of them all. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. I, I was fortunate enough to be in that position one time in my career. And I'll tell you that what it allowed me to do was to think of a completely different way to run the business that transformed it. That's and awesome. if I, if, if, and it was not the details, it was the overall, mm -hmm. I just went down and I said, if we solve this and I, it's funny you say this, if we solve this one problem, we will change the way we operate in the industry. And I brought the team together and over the course of two years, we were able to do it. But just give you a little bit of seed, just a little seed for thought there. Cause I think I, well, I don't think, I know you've got that inside of you and, and that will, that will come out because growing that leadership team is so, it's, it's such an awesome feeling, like you said, but then it empowers you and pushes you to see what you can do that's even bigger than you ever even imagined today, which is so cool. I'm so excited for you. Yeah, that's cool. But they're rocking. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, no, I'm not saying it's not hard. I'm not saying that you're not going to be frustrated. I'm not going to say any of that stuff. But it is incredible, incredible that you guys are able to do this. And uh, so with that being said, are you guys uh, back to your growth by acquisitions? Are you looking at you're trying to stay geographically in the Pennsylvania area? Are you staying in the Northeast? What are you really thinking there? So we can talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So I think once again, going back to acquisition number one, it would feel good to have it close by just because okay. I think it's going to what I believe it will need to happen is that integration process. And I think we're going to mm -hmm. have to build that integration process, the Onyx way. And so if it's closer to us regionally, yep. that makes that a lot easier. And then once we have that integration integration process, we'll kind of have a better feel right to, yeah. to how to scale uh, as we yeah. are. Good, good. So we're we're getting near the end here. I want you to go, okay, give me your perfect acquisition number one, you know, as much as you can tell me about it because someone's listening and they're in acquisition number one. I want them to be able to reach out to you. Yeah, so I think the closest I can come to acquisition number one would be probably the mechanical like side of the business or the electrical side of the business. Those are two areas uh, where we find ourselves called to do more and more work. Um, and while we have expertise on the team, we just don't have as much expertise as we could could use. Um, okay. So I think that those two would be make the most sense. And those are mechanical or electrical service companies that are dealing with in the forging industry. I would just say in the industrial industry, like okay. some manufacturing industry, it wouldn't have to be specific to forge because um, if you think about your mill rights in a plant, they they yep. they can fix all sorts of mechanical things. Okay. Right? Um, okay. So. so mechanical or electrical services companies doing industrial work. Yes. 
heavier industrial work. Heavy industrial, yeah. Yeah, heavy industrial. Industrial. Okay. And in the Pennsylvania area. Or we're right here on the Ohio New York border. So kind of that okay. tri state region around Lake Erie. Good, good. Want to get that? The tri state, Ohio, Pennsylvania, New York. Good. Well, hopefully someone's listening because I, I think it would be fun to try to integrate with your company. I mean, I, I, I'm a little biased towards engineering leaders myself, but uh, I think it's, I think you guys are doing awesome at, at Onyx there and, and you're going to, you are going to transition this into a new, new generation of owners. Um, and I just, your, your, your forethought by thinking of the fact that going from second to third is so difficult and, and planning like you did, I think is going to, is going to be a, a really, really great decision. Um, I, I, I can't tell you how many businesses that we, we talk with that it's barely gets to the second and then it can die in the third. Uh, in fact, I interviewed a gentleman by the name of Mark Kramer a couple weeks ago that works with family businesses there in New York. And um, he can tell you a, a gazillion stories about it. And uh, so I'm very excited about you. And I'm, I'm, I'm just waiting to hear what acquisition number one is for you. So, what's next? <laughs> yeah, that, that's what's next. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm so happy today, Ashley, that we could have you talk about growth by acquisitions, the plans that you guys are, are have there at, at Onyx for doing that and learning more about your company. You know, got 56 years now in the foraging industry, uh, making those furnaces is just it's just awesome, incredible, you know, just salt of the earth industrial work. Because I, I just got to imagine what's, what was some of the stuff that went through these furnaces. Yeah. You know, it's, over 56 years. Yeah, it's incredible. Everything yeah. from submarine parts to ship shafts to, yeah, yeah. munitions. And it's crazy. Yeah, good stuff. All over the place. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Ashley, for being here today. We had Ashley Walters here on, on uh, the Faces of Business talking about growth of a family business through acquisitions. Um, Ashley is with Onyx. Uh, look them up. Check them out on, on LinkedIn. What's the website? It's onyxinc.com, O-N-E-X-I-N-C.com. All right. And if somebody does have that first acquisition in mind, how should they contact you? So there is a little video out there that tells just a little bit more about what Drew's and my mindset was on this. It's in under the resources tab and under the make things better page. And uh, you can just take a look at that video and then contact us, you know, through the website. Okay. I'm, I'm the one getting those emails. So I'll be happy to connect. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks everyone for being here today. Thanks, Benita and Car and Margo. I always say Cargo Margo because it's in her, but I know it's Margo. Thanks for being here today and everyone else that was listening but didn't comment. We will be back again later this week with another episode of the Faces of Business. Thank you, everyone. Bye.